Thank you. Thank you, Devin and John. That was beautiful. I love to hear that song. I'm glad that they sang it. The choir was good today, and I'm glad that you're here. Looking forward to our message this morning. Pastor Rob's out of town today. I think he's in Tampa, uh, but I'm not sure. He's tough to keep up with sometimes, but that's where he's at today, I believe, and I am pinch-hitting today, so I'm glad to be with you this morning. Scott mentioned it earlier, but our mission's emphasis is next Sunday. Uh, we will have missionaries that are able to be seen up here. We'll have some tables set up for them. Um, two of them we support, and two of them we don't yet. They're brand new, uh, but we're excited to have them with us, and then they'll be in Sunday school classes next Sunday as well. And then on Sunday night in the Kid Street Worship Center at 5.30, we're going to hear from all of those missionaries together, and we'll have a Q&A at the end. We've done that for a couple years now. Works really well. I'm excited about missions emphasis next week. And then also next week, I'm going to be announcing where we're going on our two missions trips next year. I am pumped. I wish I could tell you now, but you got to come back next week to hear the two places we are going in 2023. And then the very next Sunday, which is October 9th, two weeks from today, we'll have an interest meeting. And if anything that I say next week on these two trips interests you at all, uh, there will be a no-commitment interest meeting in the media center after the service on that day. Come by. I'll have dates. I'll have cost info. Take a few questions. And I think both of these trips are going to be very exciting. So I'm looking forward to announcing that next week and then the interest meeting as well. Uh, before I get into the message this morning, I want to build a little bit of a basis. I was reading in my devotions recently, and I came across this passage in John chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. That's not where we're going to be today. But Jesus said something in John 14 that you read it, and then you think about it for a minute, and you think, is, is that true? Is, is he right about that? Is that, is that, really, is that really legitimate? And here, here's what he said. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, Verily I say to you that he that believes on me and the works that I do, he shall do these also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father." When you read that and you think of all the things that Jesus did in his ministry and you look at all that God did in the Old Testament and you think, Jesus, you're going to do those things through me and even greater things than that, I just I don't understand how that could be the case. Um, you know, not only that, but Jesus also said, I'm going to be going away. I'm going to be leaving you. Can you imagine dating someone for three years? Take yourself back to when you started dating, 16, 18, 21 35, whenever, whenever that was that you started dating, and you're dating someone, and you've been together for three years, and she says to you, hey, we need to, uh, we need to talk about something. He was like, okay, and she says, I, I want to talk about our future together, and he thinks, well, we've been together three years. I, I think I'd like to talk about our future together too, and she says, something you need to know. They've, they've fallen in love at this point, and they've been together for three years, and, and she says, uh, I want you to know I'm leaving I'm going away. I need to spend some more time with my dad. But I want to introduce you to my cousin, and I think you two are really going to hit it off. In fact, I think the two of you will have a better relationship in the future than you and I have had for the last three years. You would say, well, this is a weird family, first of all. This is bizarre, but I, I don't want your cousin. I'm not interested in meeting your cousin. I've been with you for three years. I've fallen in love with you and the things that we've done together. I don't want anyone else. I want you. That's how the disciples had to have thought when Jesus said, I'm going away. Uh, Jesus has been with them for three years. They've witnessed blind people that have never seen be able to see. Lame people that have never walked, get up, take up their bed and walk away. Uh, they, they've seen so many miracles done. They've seen demon possession cast out. They've seen dead people been raised to life. Don't tell us that you're leaving. It, it sounds like a bad breakup in John 14, but everything Jesus said was true. 
we are able to do the same works that were done and sometimes even greater because everything Jesus said was true. When many of us think about great manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we tend to think only of what God has done in the past. If I were to tell you, what's a miracle or what's a great manifestation of God that you haven't seen that you would like to be able to see, most of our minds would go to the past and we would think, well, I'd like to see Moses and the Red Sea or I'd like to see David and Goliath. Uh, or I'd like to see Abraham, I'd like to see Daniel, I, I'd like to see Elijah praying fire down from heaven. We think of the great manifestations of the power of God in the past tense only. But as the song that Devin just sang a moment ago, we have the same spirit and we have the same power because we serve the same God. The same God that did those things then is capable of doing them now. And I want to tell you that this morning to build a basis of where we're going in our message because we have the same power and the same spirit because we serve the same God. He's capable of moving then just as much as he is capable of moving now. When I read John 14 and read those words of Jesus, this is more than information and it's more than inspiration. This is an invitation for us to come along of what God wants to do here and now. I am thankful for what God did in the past and Pentecost would have been cool to see. And Martin Luther would have been cool to see, but God wants to do something in your life and in my life, and he wants to do it today. He doesn't want us living in the past, even our own past. He wants us living in him today. So with that thought in mind, I want you to find your place this morning in the Old Testament book of Amos. We'll be in Amos chapter number five today. You don't hear a lot of sermons from the book of Amos, and I'll be honest with you, I don't spend a lot of time here myself. So I'll give you a minute to find it. And while you're doing that, I'll tell you a little bit about Amos. The name Amos means burden bearer. By trade, Amos was a shepherd, a herdsman, and a cultivator of sycamore trees. That's it. That's all you got on this guy. I read several different commentaries. Hey, give me more. Give me more on this guy, Amos. And I, I couldn't find much else. Herdsman, shepherd, cultivator of sycamore trees. Amos did not attend seminary. He didn't go to Bible college. Elisha had this school of the prophets, and, and Amos didn't get the invitation to go there. He wasn't accepted. Uh, there's no formal training. There's really, uh, he has no business being a prophet except for the fact that God called him. It's his only qualifying characteristic. God called him to become a prophet. He was perfectly happy and content keeping sheep and farming his own land and trimming trees. That's what he did. He's a shepherd, a herdsman a cultivator of sycamore trees. That's it. Layman uh, is what Amos was, if there ever was one. In fact, commentators even suggest that Amos, because of his line of work, was considered unclean, and he was not an official member of the Jewish religious establishments, which means he was not an active member at church. If he got to go to church, and he had to sit in a separate place because he was dirty and a shepherd, and they were to vote on something, he would not have been able to vote. He wasn't a member. Uh, he didn't participate the way that, that you would want him to participate. At the time that Amos was called by God, Israel and Judah both separately were enjoying prosperity and security. Times were good. In fact, they were going really good in Israel and in Judah. And it is oftentimes throughout the Old Testament that God would call a man during bad times. You read through Genesis uh, 5 and 6 that every imagination of every thought of man was evil continually. So what did God do? He raised up Noah. 
You read through Judges, what the people would do is they would experience good times, so much so that they would forget God, and then they would do everything that was right in their own eyes, and they would fall into captivity, and they would cry out to God, deliver us, and God would raise up a judge. And he did this throughout the Old Testament with judges and with kings. And it was in bad times that God would come through. You get the picture. Bad times, slavery, captivity, poor economy, wicked kings. People would cry out. God would raise someone up and he would deliver them. Then they would experience good times. God rarely raised someone up during the good times. It was usually in the bad. This was the Old Testament cycle. All of it was predicated on bad times. But these weren't bad times in Judah. These weren't bad times in Israel. Life was good. They were enjoying prosperity and success. Uh, No devastation. There were no wicked kings. There were no fierce enemies, no plagues, no poverty. King Uzziah was reigning in Judah, and Jeroboam II was reigning in Israel. The land was at rest. People were at peace. Business was booming. Life was good. You read chapter 4. Uh, you'll see that in Amos that Israel was enjoying worship in Bethel. In chapter 5, Judah was celebrating feasts. But the problem in good times is that the people of God often forget about God when times are good. You call it apathy. You can call it complacency. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But when things are bad, we need God. But when things are good, nah, it's okay. Nah, I'm good. You ever been to a restaurant and a, a waiter or a waitress keeps coming to your table when you don't need anything? We've got our food, we've already eaten, and we've got full cups of drinks. You know, we're, we're fine. You can stop coming. And I, I'll say that sometimes. Hey, we're, we're good. I know they're trying to get me out so I can tip and they can, I can move on and they can have someone else take my seat. But, you know, when they keep coming back, it's like, yeah, we're good. Things are good here. We don't need anything. So many times we live our lives that way in good times. In bad times, we're crying out to God. We need God to do something. We need God to show up in a big way. I got somebody I love that's sick. I got something going on in my career that needs help. In bad times, we cry out to God. But in good times, often we don't. The sins of both nations were mounting. Sin was eroding the religious fiber of the people. We don't like bad times. None of us do. But all of us could probably share an example of a time in our lives when things were bad and God came through for us in a miraculous way that he probably would not have been able to do had times been good. Such was the case for Israel and Judah. So what does God do? He calls a shepherd to speak to his people. If you found your place in Amos chapter 5, stand with me as we read the text this morning. Amos chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. If you have not yet found your place, You're hopeless. You're not going to find it. It's okay. Just look intelligently at wherever you happen to have found yourself in your Bible and act like you're reading along with us. Amos chapter 5. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read down to verse number 6. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred, and that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not into Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Then in verse 6, Seek the Lord. And ye shall live. 
lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. This morning, for a few minutes, I'd like to speak to you on this topic, Seek Me Now. Our Father, I pray that you'd be with the words that have just been read from your word. I pray that you'd bless the message to follow. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you, I ask that today would be the day. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I once read a story of a small-town preacher who had been called to the hospital. He had two families in his church that were at the hospital on this particular Monday. One of his members had been battling cancer. He was on his deathbed, and they said that he might not last the day. Another family in his church that was at the same hospital uh, had just welcomed a healthy baby boy. It was a young couple, just welcomed their first child. His secretary gave him a note with both families' names and the room numbers for each. So he went to the hospital on a Monday morning. As he drove to the hospital, he thought of what he was going to say to the family of the one that was near death. Death is never easy to to deal with for any family, and cancer is the worst. And he's thinking to himself, I'm going to go to that room first so that I can do that one, and once it's done, I'll be able to enjoy time with the young family that just welcomed the baby. So he got to the hospital, and he had the note in his hand, and he glanced at it, and he walked into the first room. The room was full of family, and it was quiet. And the pastor said that he could sense death in the room. So as soon as he walked in the door and he could sense death, He just started to pray. This was his prayer. He said, God, I pray that you would be with this family in their time of tremendous grief and loss. We don't understand why this has happened, but it's terrible. It's awful. And we cry out to you for comfort for these dear people. As he's praying, he begins to hear some faint chatter going on in the room. He pushed through, though, and he continued to beg God for mercy in spite of this pain and suffering. His prayer intensified. Oh God, we ask that you comfort these who are hurting and mourning in this room today. God, we don't understand why you did this, but we trust that you are good even in the midst of all the bad. It's in your name we ask it. Amen. When he opened his eyes, he saw the baby there in the room, in the middle asleep, being held by his mother. The family was gathered around, and it was then that he realized he had entered the wrong room. Everyone in the nation of Israel and Judah felt like Amos had entered the wrong room. He walks in, and he bursts onto the scene, and he says, Hey, doom is coming. Don't don't mess around in Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal or Beersheba, because impending doom is coming. God God is going to rain fire upon this place. The enemy is coming. Things are about to get really bad. And as he says this to the nation of Israel and Judah, they had to have thought to themselves, who is this guy? Does he, does he think he's in the right room? Hey, did anyone order a crazy shepherd prophet in here? Because he doesn't know what's going on. Times are good. Okay, we got King Uzziah. We got Jeroboam. We're having the best prosperity we've ever had. Business is booming. We've got crops in the fields. We've never had it better than we've got it today. There's no pestilence. There's no plagues. There's no enemy. We've had rain. We've seen a harvest. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Who are you? What are you talking about? Can we get this guy to another room? He clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. Everybody in Israel, everybody in Judah thought that Amos had entered the wrong room. He entered a room of happiness, and he only spoke of sorrow. 
He entered a room of prosperity and only spoke of poverty and incoming doom. He entered a room of laughter and only spoke of lamentation. This was actually the third time that Amos is preaching to the people of God, calling for a change to happen, not in bad times, but in the good times. Chapters 3 and 4, other sermons, Amos preached to these people that had gone unheeded. So he says, hear this word, Israel, verse 1, this lament that I take up concerning you. The word lamentation in Hebrew is the word niha, kina. It's a dirge. It's a mournful song. It was first used in 2 Samuel 1 when David was mourning the death of Saul and Jonathan. Lamentations are always associated with death and destruction. I've outlined this passage today in three key sections. If you've got notes, uh, you're welcome to follow along. Point number one, he gives a coming wrath. He says, I want you to know that wrath is coming. Destruction is coming. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to hear that there are bad times just up ahead because you're experiencing the good and you're enjoying life and you're living off of the fruit of the land. I know that that's the case for you today, but it won't always be this way. Bad times are coming. You need to repent. This was coming to the people of 8th century B.C., so this is still 700 years before Jesus. But even in then, at that time, and also in 2022, we sometimes can associate poverty, pr prosperity with the peace of God. We consider poverty and poor health and tough times to be only to those who are not right with God. Even today, although we know that it isn't true, we hear of someone getting deathly sick or something unfair happening, and we think, wonder what they did to incur the wrath of God. Job's friends thought the same thing. If you read through his story, in the New Testament, the Pharisees and even the disciples sometimes were like this. Hey, Jesus, this man was born blind. Was it him that sinned, or was it his parents that sinned? Who can we ascribe blame to for what this man is experiencing? Struggle is not always the result of sin. Prosperity is not always the result of righteousness. I could tell you a list of people who live wicked, immoral, sinful lives that none of you in here probably do, and they are much more prosperous than any of us will probably ever be. I can tell you of other people that are some of the most godly people that I've ever met in my life, and they're going through unthinkable tragedy right now because that's not the way that it works. Just because you're seeing success doesn't mean everything between you and God is right. And just because you're experiencing bad times doesn't mean everything is wrong. Here is a nation of people living close to success, but far from God. I want to say that again because I want it to sink in. Here's a nation of people, two of them in fact, Israel and Judah separately, but doing the same together. They are living close to success, but they're very far from God. It's a scary comparison to what we are experiencing in our nation in this time period today. We seem to be living very close to success, but at the same time very far from God. They were prosperous, but don't let their prosperity fool you. And maybe we shouldn't let our prosperity fool us either. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in their own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. Does the state of Israel and Judah not seem eerily similar to what we are experiencing today? I don't know if you've paid any attention, 
to culture or the news or what's happening in our country, what's happening in our world, but religion is on the decline. Maybe religion's not the best word. You may substitute it for spirituality, Christianity, church involvement, whatever you want to say. But regardless of how you slice it, let me put an Old Testament illustration into a 21st century context. Our faith is on the decline. You don't have to look very hard to understand that that's the case. We can argue the reasoning for that, perhaps politics or culture or pandemic or fear or distraction or success or prosperity, perhaps. Whatever you label uh, or choose to ascribe is irrelevant, but we have a problem. Our faith is on the decline. People think they no longer need God. Believers within churches have never been more divided into factions than we are today. Same church, same body of believers, attending the same service, claim to have the same relationship with the same God, but we're divided over petty little things. Petty little things. Things that in the scope of eternity have no bearing. It's irrelevant. It's like we've forgotten that we're allowed to disagree and still love one another. In doing missions, I receive a lot of letters from missionaries. I have four that I brought with me today that I'll share with you. In, in America, our churches have declined. You look in the studies of the last two to two and a half years, America, our faith has declined primarily because of social distancing and mask restrictions. Can you imagine that? <laughs> like that, That's why it's one of the attributing reasons as to why we have seen a decline in our faith. It doesn't matter where you stand on it. It's that these issues are limiting people from understanding who Jesus is or, or attending a worship service or connecting with other people because of petty little things. It doesn't matter what you're pro or anti. It's irrelevant. But this is the divided part of our culture today over small things. Can you imagine if the decline was over threat of imprisonment or torture or death? We, we couldn't handle it. We, we wouldn't be able to handle it. If it was come to church and you may be persecuted, do you think we would, we would still come? We had people that didn't come because, because of various ridiculous things. But in the other parts of the world, they're really mounting up against some of these threats. Believers all over the world are experiencing legitimate persecution for their faith in Jesus. I'm not going to share any of these missionary names, and I'm not going to share any of the countries they represent, but all four of these letters were received by missionaries that our church supports in various countries all over the world. Last month brought great excitement as well as trepidation. Our missionaries serving in this country face several challenges because of persecution is on the rise there. Several states in northern part of this country have passed anti-conversion laws. That means one who changes his or her religion, even those who have been converted earlier, they now need to reconvert to Hinduism or face consequences of imprisonment for up to 10 years plus financial penalties. It's one country. Here's another. Christians are targeted in this country. These churches face many hardships and difficulties. Here's a separate country. Christians are being beheaded. Violence and persecutions of Christians is everywhere, but especially in the north. Here's a separate country. There is no freedom to conduct meetings openly. The military is actively persecuting Christians. You still go to church at your place over in America? Nah. Nah, I don't agree with the mask requirement. Well, what is it? I don't know. But I'm not going. 
Ah, I just don't like what we're doing about the social distancing. I just don't like where our country's headed. just don't feel like it's safe to be out in the community of believers. This is what they're going through in other parts of the world. This is what happens when times are good. The message of Amos in these verses is simple. A day of reckoning is coming. You think it's going to get easier for believers? Let me just tell you, it's not. It didn't get any easier for the prophets of the Old Testament. It didn't get any easier for the disciples. It didn't get any easier for Jesus or the first century saints. Why would we think suddenly in 21st century, things are going to be a lot easier for us when we ascribe to have a faith in God? When we sign on to being committed to a walk with Jesus, why would we think it would get any easier? The day of reckoning for the audience of Amos was coming because political reckoning was going to happen by way of the Assyrians. The Assyrian military was already sharpening their weapons during the good times when God sent Amos. They would come, they would ravage the people of God as he prophesied. In places where thousands once stood, there would be just hundreds. And in places where hundreds, there would be but tens. It's kind of a heavy message that Amos shares to the people of God. He speaks, and it's the setting of a funeral. This is a eulogy for the nation of Israel. Most eulogies occur after someone has died. Can you imagine if, um, I'll use this as a hypothetical situation, could you imagine if Pastor Rob were to get sick in the next couple of weeks, and let's say he was hospitalized for a couple days, and I came to the hospital and I said, hey, Pastor Rob, how you doing? He said, you know, I'm doing okay. They've given me some meds. I think I'm going to work through it. I think everything's going to be fine. And I said, well, just in case it's not, I've, I've written a eulogy and I'd like to read it to you. What do you mean you've written a eulogy? I've, I've, ri- I've written your eulogy. I think you'll really enjoy it. Let me, let me read it to you. And I start reading his eulogy and he's like, hey, man, I, I really appreciate the sentiment. Kind of, not really, but I, I'm going to be fine, okay? I'm, I'm going to get out of the hospital. Everything's going to be okay. You don't need to share that eulogy with anybody else. I was like, well, I already sent it to the Kernersville News, and I've already sent it to Winston-Salem Journal, and they said they'd be willing to publish it. I just got to give them the green light. And he said, don't give them the green light. I'm okay. We don't write eulogies when people are still alive, generally. But here Amos delivers a eulogy to the people of God while they're still living, but also why, while times are good. That's what this is. It's a wake-up call for the people of God to rise up and to take a stand because it's not going to get any easier. In fact, it's going to get harder. I could give you the the source on this if you want it, but I was reading this week. As of July of this year, there are now 72 recognized genders in the United States besides male and female. I was looking at this last night with some family. I could give you the website if you want it. But it lists 72 recognized genders aside from male and female. So it's male and female, 72 others. And some of them I I can't even pronounce. And some of them are so fluid that they don't make any sense. One of them was so fluid, it just depends on what particular mood I am on this particular day. One can can change in in the environment that I'm in. It's crazy what we're experiencing in America. We have become postmodern and post-Christian and anti-Jesus and anti-traditional marriage and anti-binary and pro-abortion. How did we get here? Do you know how we got here? I'll tell you how we as as a nation got here. We got here when times were good. We got here when times were good. Because if times were bad, we probably wouldn't be here. We got here in times were good. We got so much time on our hands and so much success and so much prosperity. We have nothing to do but make up more genders. This is what we've done with our time. We've gotten here when times are good. We don't need God. We've got government. How's that working out? 
We've sacrificed commitment for complacency. We've sacrificed passion for passivity. Most of all, we've sacrificed truth for tolerance. Wish I could expound a little bit more on those, but that's what we've done. We've sacrificed commitment for complacency. Used to be when you would commit to something, you would do it, and now it's just we're complacent. Meh. We've sacrificed passion for passivity, and we've sacrificed truth for tolerance. Jesus said, sanctify them through truth. My word is truth. Jeremiah chapter 20, he said, I'm done. Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived, for you're stronger than I am. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. The word of God has been made a reproach unto me. You ever felt like you were a psychopath because you believed the Bible? Have you, have you ever been made to feel that way today? Jeremiah said, I'm done. It's not worth it. And Jeremiah 20, he said, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He goes on to say, God's response to Jeremiah is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. He says, don't sacrifice truth for tolerance. doesn't work. Number one, a coming wrath. Number two, a compassionate warning. He still gives a compassionate warning. Even after the third time he's coming to these people, even after their good times and they know that bad times are coming and they don't want to hear it, he still comes compassionately with them. Look at verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. As a parent, I struggle sometimes with compassion. I'll just admit this to you. I know there are no parents or grandparents in the room that probably struggle with compassion, but I'll, I'll say this anyway. Um, I, I'll ask my kids sometimes to, to do something, and I'll, I'll ask them nicely, and then I'll ask them to do something that's reasonable. Um, and when it's not done, you, you would not describe me as compassionate. I don't get angry. I don't lose my mind. But I, I'm kind of thinking, what's wrong with you? Like, what, what has happened to you? I'll give you an example. It's, um, it'll be Sunday afternoon today, and there will be football on, but I will be watching it on my phone because my kids will be watching it on, on the large TV in our house. And they'll, they'll watch their shows or a movie or something, and they'll relax, which is great. That's what Sundays are for. And they'll relax all afternoon, and they'll watch stuff. And then I'll say, hey, guys, it's time to turn that off after a show ends. It's time to turn that off because we've got to get ready to go to church. I've asked them to do something that's reasonable, and I've even gone to the next step of telling them why. It's time to come back to church. We've we got to go. It's time to do something. You've been doing this all afternoon. I, I've sacrificed my screen so you can have it, and now it's time to do something. And despite the fact that they are fluent in Netflix and Hulu and Prime Video and Disney Plus, my kids can turn on and off the captions at will. I, don't, I can't figure out how to do that, but they do it. They know how to skip the intro to go straight to the show. They know how to skip the credits to go straight to the next show. They are fluent in all the streaming devices that we have. And when I ask them to turn it off, they suddenly forget how the remote works. What is wrong with them? How does this happen? You're the smartest tech kids that I know. I just asked you to turn it off. Now, turn it off. And inevitably, another one comes on. Well, can, we, can we watch this one? No, you can't watch this one. Turn it off. We see a, a coming wrath, but then we see a compassionate warning because we are by default not compassionate. I'll give you another illustration. We went to this new ice cream place over in Walkertown. Maybe you've been there. They've got like 65 flavors of ice cream. It's ridiculous. 
we go and the line's out the door. And so we're standing there and I'm, I'm telling my kids, okay. I said, now when we get up there, you can get one sample, but we're not going to do like eight samples, okay? We're not going to just take all the sample spoons and try everything. And I got one kid who's pretty steady. He's like, Dad, I know what I want. I don't even need to sample anything. I'm like, great, that sounds awesome. And our baby's two years old. She'll eat literally anything. It doesn't matter what we get her. And then I got this one in the middle. Maybe you have a middle child or a second born, and she wants to sample cotton candy and bubble gum and mystery flavor. And she's never, ever liked them before, but it's possible that today might be the day. And I'm like, girl, you get one sample. So we're waiting in line, and obviously not all the, the parents are, are dealing with their kids the same way that I am. We got this couple in front of us, husband and wife, no kids, and they took forever. And the lady is like, can I sample this one? Can I sample this one? She apparently didn't hear me tell my kids they get one sample. So she's got like eight samples over here. And then she says this, like, I'm, I'm kind of losing my patience a little bit. Like, all right, lady, I got, I got three kids here. We got a family of five. The line's out the door. And she goes, hey, can I sample the vanilla? And I wanted to say, vanilla, where have you been? Like, is this your first time trying ice cream or dessert or being in public? You know, come on, what are you doing? Let's go. I'm not a compassionate person, but God is. He, he doesn't struggle with compassion the way that we do. How much more is he compassionate with us when we mess up? Psalm 86, 15, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Here, Amos gives a similar message. Seek me and ye shall live. It's an imperative. There's the idea of urgency. Don't delay. Seek me now. Nobody likes to go to funerals, but that's what he's doing here. He's sharing a dirge. He's sharing a eulogy at a funeral. So here Amos speaks to the nation of Israel. At this point in their history, life has never been better. They're enjoying freedom from bondage and rest from their enemies and success in their labors. And here comes a shepherd saying, hey, doom is coming. You better wake up. I know times have been good, but they're about to get bad. You better seek the Lord now. He says, seek ye me and you shall live. As he says this to the people, you have to get this sense. Seek me. Seek the Lord. That's what we're doing. We're the people of God. Have you not read that we're still celebrating the feasts and the holy days, and we're still worshiping over in Beersheba and Gilgal and Bethel? We're worshiping God. We're seeking the Lord. We're doing the things. We're good. Modern day. We live in America. We're fine. We're, we're a Christian nation. We'll be at church on, on Sundays. We'll, we'll watch on live stream. We're good. According to chapters 4 and 5, they had this idea that they were doing the right things. The irony of what Amos is saying to the people is genuinely Israel and Judah believe they are seeking the Lord because they're attending the feast days and they're showing up on holy days. But Amos condemns their sanctuaries and says, this is false seeking. It's false worship you're not seeking me, you're going through the motions. A Hebrew commentator said the people must indeed seek the Lord, but not in the places they frequent. In the places where they are seeking, they will find nothing. To paraphrase a North Carolina commentator, going to church ain't all there is to it. This is, I'm glad you're here today. This is a good crowd for this service. I'm glad that you're here. I enjoyed listening to you sing. For those of you watching online, we're glad that you're watching online. But if all you do is show up, that's all you're going to get out of it. 
If you don't dig deep and connect or find a group or find a class or find a way to serve, you will have this thought at some point. Huh, is this all there is to it? No, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more you can do to plug in, to get involved. You're going through the motions. There's no personal reflection. There's no independent Bible study. There's no intercessory prayer or small group of believers. I'm telling you, attending a one-hour service on Sunday is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it in 2022. You're here today. It's great. But if all you get in your spiritual life is whoever's up here speaking and their walk with Jesus, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Paul said, I want it all. I want the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If all we do is we come and we drop off our kids and grandkids and we sit in a service and then we pick them up and we leave and there's no interaction with other people, what do you got? It's not going to sustain you. It's not going to get you through. You're getting the content with no connection and no community. I had somebody say to me recently, I just don't feel connected here. And I thought, Lord, help me. And I wanted to say, I didn't, I was actually more compassionate. I wanted to say, what have you done to connect? What have you done? Who have you met? If you, if you were to miss like three or four weeks because you're sick, who would reach out to you? Would there be a meal train? Who are your people? We just don't feel like we're connected here. What have you done? That's what I want to say. But I didn't. I had some compassion, unlike the lady that wanted the vanilla ice cream. Nobody wants to connect anymore. Here's the point. Regardless of your level of connection, commitment, or compassion, God says to you, the offer is still the same. Still the same. The offer is still the same because God says, I am still the same. I'm the same God that worked back then, and I'm the same God that wants to work today. Number three, a coming wrath, a compassionate warning, and number three is a complacent worship. A complacent worship. Hey, some of the songs we sang today, did you go through the motions or did you worship? Let me tell you me, I worshiped. I didn't go through the motions. You know why? Because I knew I was going to ask that question in this sermon. But if you would have asked me last week, I might would have had a different answer. Their worship had gotten complacent. Are you a pedestrian or are you a participant? Because just because you're here today doesn't mean that you worshiped. Just because you showed up doesn't mean that you got it. There's a difference. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, But seek me not in Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel, Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live lest he break out the fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Amos lists these three cities by name in this passage. These were spiritually significant places of worship to the people of God. Beersheba was the place where God uh, first delivered to Abraham and gave him the land for possession. Bethel was the place where Jacob encountered God and his name was changed to Israel and Gilgal was the place where the children of Israel emerged from their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and took possession of the promised land. Beersheba was a place of promise, and Bethel was a place of people. That's where they formed their identity. And Gilgal was a place of possession. 
All three of those places were spiritually significant to the people of God. And so they would go to those places and they would worship in those places because that's what they were accustomed to doing. And they're like, God has shown up here before. Maybe he'll show up here again. A place of possession, a place of people, a place of promise. They were going to the sacred places, but they were going through the motions. There was no real worship. There was nothing authentic about it. It was a place of promise, and it was a place of their people, their national heritage, their identity. It was a place of possession. All three of these places had major spiritual significance, but they were no longer looking for God in new places, only in the old. What about you? Are you looking for God in new places, or are you just seeking him out in the old places? Spurgeon said this, we do our Lord an injustice when we suppose that he wrought all his mighty acts and showed himself strong for those in the early time, but doth not perform wonders or lay bare his arm for the saints who are now upon the earth. God moved in amazing ways in the past and probably in your life in the past, but he wants to do something in the future. He wants to use you today. He wants your worship today. He says, don't seek don't spend your life seeking me in old places where I left. Seek me now and live. God wants to move in you today. I'm out of time. I don't have time to develop these last four thoughts, but I want to give them to you. If you want to write a passage of Scripture out in the margin of each, you can study these on your own. But authentic worship has four elements. There are four things that authentic worship always has. This is kind of a takeaway for us today. Does my authentic worship, is it authentic? Is it what God wants? Number one is the word humility. Authentic worship always has humility. They would learn humility in this generation because in Isaiah 6, King Uzziah would die. And Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his response was, woe is me, I'm undone. Because when we see the righteousness of God, it is only then that we truly see the sinfulness of ourselves. True worship always has humility. Every biblical counter that mankind had with God, the same element is always present. Humility. Number two, sincerity. Sincerity. In Matthew 15, Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then he says, In vain they worship me. It, it, it's, it's going through the motions. It's that, that regular, hey, it's Sunday, so I'm here, but nothing's going to change. Humility, sincerity. Number three, consistency. Consistency. It was in Daniel 6 that, that the whole kingdom was told you can't worship any other god than Darius. What did Daniel do? Opened his windows like he always had, prayed to God as he did aforetime or as his custom was. Authentic worship consistency. Number four, intentionality. It requires humility, and it requires sincerity, and it requires consistency, but you don't accidentally worship God. You do it intentionally. You do it on purpose. Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well, true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I want to tell you today, God is interested in your worship today. He said, don't, don't seek me out in Beersheba or Gilgal or Bethel. Seek me in Kernersville. 
Seek me in High Point, Walkertown, Winston, wherever you live. Seek me now because the things that I did then, I'm the same God who wants to move and receive your worship in your life today and do something through you now. He says, seek me now, even when times are good. God is interested in your worship today in the place you are now. Don't spend your life seeking me in old places where I've left. He says, seek me now and live. Let me ask you this morning to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. In a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song. We're going to worship one last time today. But before I open up the invitation portion of our service today, I want to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? He desires to have a relationship with you that's fresh and new and like nothing you've ever experienced before. There are a million ways to get to Jesus, but Jesus is the only way to get to God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Today, you can call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins and accept him as Lord of your life. For those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, is your walk with him what it should be? Do you worship him in spirit and in truth? Don't seek him in places where he used to be. Seek him now and live. Father, I pray that you'd be with this time of invitation this morning. I pray that we would be a people who would actively seek you and seek the worship of you, even in the good times of life. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I pray that they would be drawn to your spirit today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. Scott's going to sing, Jesus is calling. If you have a need in your life, the altar is open today.